Welcome to the Money Talks Money Matters podcast. We're here to take away the stigma of money and provide a transparent platform of knowledge for anyone that tunes in. The goal is to give 20-year-olds the perspective of 80-year-olds in regards to business, finance, and decision-making. My name is Darian Williams. And I'm Sean McHenry. Get this. The opportunity cost of not improving your financial literacy is costing you close to $3 million, Michael Morrow says. He's making waves in history teaching personal finance in high school. I know we've all asked for that. He's doing it. Head track coach at Stoneman Douglas High School. He does jujitsu. He works at his father's mortgage company. We have a lot to unpack in this episode. We're going to talk about life insurance. We're going to talk about mistakes you should avoid. This is episode 11 of the Money Talks Money Matters podcast. Let's launch into it. Let's go. For launch in three, two, well, I started at Ryder University for, for college, I guess, graduated high school, went to college, um, ended up joining a fraternity, having too much fun. Some things kind of went sideways and I ended up leaving that university and graduating from Florida Gulf Coast a, a couple of years later. And there's kind of a long financial journey that takes place there too. So I don't know if you want me to dive right into that or uh, take it step by step. Yeah, of course, please. So took out student loans to go to Ryder, um, basically almost failed out. So what happens then is uh, your parents, if they were supporting you, say, hey, if you want to do it now, you're you're on your own. So me thinking I could do anything, I took out a very expensive student loan to stay enrolled in school. And then um, spring break rolled around. I took out another student loan to be able to go on spring break with my fraternity brothers. And then um, before I knew it, I had a pretty large amount of student loan debt. Ended up moving to South Florida and going to Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, but I finally got a little bit smarter financially. And I waited a year before I went to Florida Gulf Coast to become an in-state resident, which saved me about $12,000 a year to, to finish school. Um, so again, I sacrificed a year. I worked two jobs during that time to save as much money as possible. And then it made it much more affordable when the time came to pay. Again, still being on my own when the time came to pay for enrollment at Florida Gulf Coast. Um, and then a light triggered when you hit your major, you actually enjoy going to school. So I liked going to class. I liked getting there early, getting the seat in the front so I could learn about concepts of management, concepts of business. Um, I studied sports management as well. So learning how to make money off sports and things like that was super intriguing and, and super fun for me. Um, and then graduated from Florida Gulf Coast and immediately started working after struggling to find a job in 2012 uh, during the recession, started working at a mortgage company as a loan processor, which is kind of like a paper pusher. And um, I was kind of sitting there going, I'm smarter than all these people I'm making money for and their checks are way bigger than mine. So I studied for the mortgage loan origination test. I failed by one question my first time, got, got super oh upset. Yeah, yeah. And it was at the time I was going through a lot. Sandy had just hit New Jersey too. Um, so it was just, things were just piling it all, man. So you're in New Jersey at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I graduated Florida Gulf coast, um, and moved back to New Jersey once I graduated because I had a job managing a jet ski site up there. So I knew I had work right after I graduated and then Sandy hit that October. Oh my gosh. Um, and I was trying to get licensed to do mortgages cause I was doing, I was loan processing during the day and managing the jet ski site on weekends. Again, just working two jobs, trying to make it in 2012 when times were rough. And um, my old man was like, dude, you know, you're working a hundred hours a week, might need to find something better to do anyway. So then when Sandy hit, 
my little brother and I started demoing houses for, for an insurance company paid really well, but we were working 18 hour days. I mean, they drop you off and go, you're done when the house is done. Wow. So when did you learn how to like leverage your time into money? Cause I know you're working those hundred hour weeks, but then if you go to mortgages, you're do working 20 to 40 hour weeks and making times three times four of that. So when was that point of realization where you were like, wow, like if I do this with this much time, I can make this, X amount of more money. So it was when, you know, when you're working a hundred hours a week and you're paying bills because student loans are due and car payments are due. And guess what? You're in it now, right? Like just like that, once you graduate college and those, you know, you still have a car payment or you just get one and your student loan payments become due, uh, you know, it, it, it gets you. And, um, you know, you're working a hundred hours a week and you're still struggling, right? So you're like, okay, how can I better use my time? So that was definitely, when I said, okay, if I become a loan originator, yeah. right, to your point, I saw the checks they were making, right? Because I was, I know how much they get paid 1%. I knew what loan amounts they were doing, the quick math, right? Yeah. So I was like, I want to do that now. Um, and then it took till about February. I finally passed the test. I took it a second time. I passed it. But then it's still not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like, it's not like people were knocking on my door going, okay, cool. You can write mortgages now. I, I need a loan, right? They cannot um, find the people and generate leads and... Yeah. And people didn't trust mortgage bankers or brokers because that's the whole reason the recession started in the first place. Yeah. Oh my God. So, I mean, hell of a time to, to join an industry, <laughs> right? Um, but I figured, you know what, if I can be successful at this, I can probably be successful at anything. I'm already kind of committed. Um, and I would just say, if you're going to do something, do it all the way, because at least you know, right? Like if I fell on my face with mortgages, whatever, I'd go back to bartending and managing a jet ski site. And I knew I'd survive. Right. But Knowing that I can make three, four, five, six, seven, eight X to your point, I might as well at least try it. So, do you wish you took risk at like a at like a younger age? Because now you're such like a go getter. You're like, well, if I fail, like who the hell cares? So, do you wish that would have that thought would have resonated in your head when you were 18, 19, 20? So that's a great question in the sense that it's not that I was afraid of risk. I just made a lot dumber risks or. <laughs> So, you know, for example, I didn't take financial risk, but I did. My brother called me New Year's Eve 2007, said, I'm moving to Florida tomorrow. I said, cool, I'll go with you. And we packed our stuff and New Year's Day, we, we partied with our family, said bye, got in the, in the cars and rolled down to Florida together. So I would say I always took risks at a young age and you should, right? Because same thing, when we moved to Florida, even if we fell on our faces, we knew we could always go back home. So why not try it, right? So Risk shouldn't be, you know, financial risk is great. But again, the difference between gambling and risk is risk is calculated, right? I've done a little bit of research. If I lose this now, at least I know there's nothing else I could have done different. If I gamble, I'm just taking a shot in the dark, right? That's like saying I'm going to buy 100 shares of, you know, Bitcoin when it's worth 10 thousandths of a cent. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are upset they missed that train, but a lot of people thought the people that did buy in were crazy. You know, so it's, it's again, right? Was it a gamble or was it a calculated risk? It was probably a little bit of both, depending on how you look at it, you yeah. know? Um, but I would say as long as you get smart financially, between your the time you're 17 to 22, you will probably save yourself $3 million over the course of your life. So kind of just to jump back into your story, when you said that you went to college and um, you went for sports, uh, sports management, mm -hmm. Did you know that you would have done mortgages or was this kind of like a shot in the dark because you took on all these student loans just to do something that you would have no 
um, kind of path of life to, you know? Sure. And, and again, I studied sports management because in my mind, I was managing the Eagles to win a Super Bowl one yeah. day. Right. And dream big. And I, and I did. Right. And, um, you know, I don't regret any choices that I made. I graduated with the sports management degree. I got to a final round of interviews with the Philadelphia Soul, who is a, an arena football team um, that I don't know if they're even still in existence, but they're relatively popular at the time. And my best friend already had been working there and we were studying sports management together because we just had this, hey, we're going to take over the world mentality, yeah, right? which is what you should have. And he went down that rabbit hole of working in sports and I didn't get hired out of the gate. So I just kind of circumnavigated to mortgages because, you know, I shared this with, with you in class, but I was sending out 30, 40 resumes a day and I was getting zero calls back. But it was also at a time where a lot of people were sending out a lot of resumes. And in a major like sports management, there's probably half a million kids studying it right now and they should, right? But how many professional teams are there, right? 32 maybe for the four major sports. So we're talking half a million people fighting for, let's say there's 10 management positions at each job, maybe 3,200 positions. Yeah. You know, not to shatter anybody's hopes or dreams out there. You could end up being an athletic director for a college or, you know, using that sports management to develop a new sport. Like there's like soccer, golf now and things like that. So I'm not discouraging people from taking that major because I one of the classes was learning how to make money off sport. Right. So we could start a kickball league and make money tomorrow. Or so you're saying more just recognize all the other paths that you can take instead of just looking at one. Right. Because the major says professional sports management. Yeah. Right. But the likelihood of being a professional sports manager is extremely small. So don't right. be afraid to if there's a class you take and you kind of gravitate towards that. Right. OK. Sustainable management taught me how to go in and make a building lean certified. So if I have celiac disease and I want to make a restaurant, you know, gluten-free capable and sustainable, we could probably make a lot of money going around and, and charging restaurants to convert to convert to that. And that's something you would learn by going down that sports management kind of route. I think also being so young is we don't really have a full scope of what is there, what is out there. And I think that um, when we go into college and pick these degrees, there's like six that like seem super flashy, but you don't realize like the 30,000 that can stem from those six degrees, you know? And you, make, you make a great point. So to parlay that, do you know what the percent is of people who actually do what they majored in? I'd imagine like 10. It's a little higher than that. Really? 27%. Okay. <laughs> so okay. one in four people essentially yeah. do what they went to college to do. Now, it doesn't mean don't go to college, right? Oh, no, yeah, definitely. It just means don't limit yourself, you know? Um, and then in, in addition to that, three out of every five college graduates right now are saying if they could go back, they'd pick a different major. And that's recent graduates, right? So don't, you know, if you get to your junior and senior year and you're like, I don't know if I really want to do this, then don't commit those last two years to that, right? You can still switch to another major, you know, or just put a pause in it. You don't lose those credits, right? Now, I've heard that it's really hard to stop school and go back. Yeah. And I did it. I took a year off and I went back. But I guess it depends on your mindset. If I went back, like, oh, my God, I'm never going to finish. Well, then that's how I'm going to feel. But I, I feel would... like and there's also that level of bullshit that people are just saying, yeah, I'll just take a year off knowing that they're not going to come back. And people really know they're too intense as well. So. Right. So if you're going to take a year off, why? Right. Because yeah. I really want to focus on figuring out what I want to do before I spend all this money and time doing something that I don't want to do. Of course. But a lot of people, you know, they're already... I committed to this. I, I can't quit. Right. Well, change, you know, evolution happens when you're like, oh, if I do this, 
I might be wiped out of existence. I probably need to change, right? So yeah. why would you continue to go down a path that's going to make you miserable? Yeah, when I was in high school, my dad's a software engineer. And I always saw, like, I'm very similar to my dad. So I thought I was going to be a software engineer. So I learned coding. And I started getting into that stuff. And I realized it wasn't for me. But it was like I dedicated my high school years to just making sure that I have the opportunity to quit. So I went through like electrical engineering, like solving circuit boards, building like woodworking stuff. And I tried everything I could possibly touch because I knew once I got older, I only got harder to try new things. And then eventually I started, it was like the 30th thing that I did, the photography and film. And then that was the point I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I did it and it skyrocketed really well. But um, I try to preach to my friends as well. It's just know when to stop because there is a point. Yeah, It's you- hard to see though. You know, you're at an advantage because at, at a young age, you've, you've figured that out. Now, the, the flip side to it, right? The benefit is if you, let's say all the cameras and videos just shorted out and you couldn't do this anymore, could you go be an electrical engineer or at least have the base to go do it? Yeah. Right? So it's not time wasted. You still have a resource now that you can call upon if and when you need it, but you use that to get to where exactly. you ultimately wanted to be. And that's, for, that's, that's a great place to come from. Yeah. So is that what you kind of used college for in the sense of, well, if this doesn't work, at least I have this path and this path, meaning that whatever you took, like learning about managing sports, like, like sports and money, like that's what you kind of took into your mortgage business. So, I mean, would you say that you would go back and not do college and maybe just go straight to mortgages or, or was there like a lifestyle and habits that you built throughout college that kind of excelled you to where you're at now? So again, another great question. And, and I would say that my college lifestyle kind of framed that a little bit um, because I was working a lot as a bartender. I worked probably 40, 50 hours a week while taking five classes um, to graduate because I just wanted to be done. At this point, you know, I was at college for three years in Jersey. I lost a lot of credits when I moved down here, took a year off, right? And then couldn't pass the stupid math test that I had to pass to, to graduate. Um, so it was, it was a lot. And there was a, a couple points where I was like, I'm just done, man. Like it's six years and I got an 89 and I need a 90 on this test. Right. So there was a lot of points where I was one point away, one point away from multiple yeah. times in a row. And that's enough to make anybody want to quit. Right. But I just wasn't going to let the, the system win. I spent all this money. I almost failed out. I got back on track. I got to pay this student loan debt regardless. Yeah. You know, screw you, man. I'm not, I'm not going to let you get the best of me. So, you know, you keep your head down and you get through it. Um, and then you have like roommates like mine who forgot to pay the electric bill the week of finals. So now, oh right, gosh. I got three finals over summer school, right? And they told me in summer school, if you take more than one class for this to graduate, you're never going to be able to finish. I just didn't sleep for, I was like, it's six weeks. You can do anything for six weeks, right? So I just didn't sleep. I I quit my job so I could just focus on school. Yeah. Um, And then my roommate forgets to pay the electric bill, right? So there's no, so I went to Walmart and I got like five of these oil lanterns and I just let them run all night. Cause I was like, you know what? No distractions, dude. You got three finals coming up that you have no distractions, right? You have a choice. You can either sleep or be miserably hot in this apartment, or you can just study. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's what I did. There wasn't um, a Starbucks back then. <laughs> so it was like, I was up till three, four in the morning studying, man. Oh, right? okay. like, so Cause I quit my job goes, yeah. just to get through these, yeah, yeah. these exams. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was just during the day, I'd go to the library and cool I off and like, okay. study in okay. there. Yeah. But, but at night, you know, I would just go back to the house and I even told my girlfriend at the time, like, don't call me. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be here. It's miserable. You know, yeah. she's like, come stay with me. I'm like, nah, I got, I got to do stuff. She's yeah. like, you don't even have lights. What do you mean? I hear. Yeah. I've always heard like 
every successful person has to go through their rocky cutscene, they call it. And it's just that one phase where it's complete, just straight grind. Nothing's pleasurable about it, but it's that phase that you almost transform to the next version of yourself. And I would say it's, you know, you're lying to yourself if you think you're only going to do that once. Oh, for sure. You know, um, and, and to parlay that, you're never going to get anywhere without a little bit of help, right? So if you really are going through it, you're grinding and you're just not getting ahead, right? If you, it's not a handout, man. Like if you need a thousand bucks from your brother, just call him, right? Like they're going to help you. People want to help people they like, yeah. right? And, you know, family's going to help you regardless, but I've had friends help me out before, right? And one time I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to pay this dude back. I didn't tell him that, but I took his money. Like if I don't pay him back, it is what it is. And he was one of my best friends. And luckily I was able to pay him back, you know, but again, is, does that make me a bad person for knowing I'm going to take this money and I may not be able to pay back somebody that I care so, so much about. Yeah. Right. I'll bet. So, but again, so there's, there's a risk I took at a young age there, right? I'm, am I going to lose a friend? But you had the intent to pay him back. So that didn't make you a terrible person because you. Sure. But at the time I was like, holy moly, there is no way yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be able to pay this dude back. Yeah. So yeah. just to go down the rabbit hole of money, what what age or was it college or was it your parents? What age did you realize that I need to get financially smart, I need to start learning and I need to start managing my own money? I would say it was um, when my mortgage business started to click, right? Which was probably two or three years after I was licensed. And so again, back back to the grind right going into you know real estate offices and them saying we don't accept solicitors you know go away um breaking into like i had to go to a broker's convention in atlantic city and my bosses were like we don't have a ticket you gotta sneak your way in i was like okay yeah <laughs> you know and so i mean it was a cool journey to go on and it was kind of wild um and then you know you have to you have to do your part right like i would work four or five hours on a deal and then some other broker would just come in and, and cut the rate and be like yep snake and I did all the legwork. And then eventually, you know, you, you take your licks and you get smart, right? And I would say the advantage that I had there was I learned how to talk to people, mm, right? That's like, big. Like the things that I teach in my classroom, like, hey, if you don't have anything to ask them, ask them about themselves. Because again, as I said, people want to do business with people that they like, Yeah. right? So if you're on the phone with somebody and you're trying to sell them anything, right? Oh, is that a baby I hear in the background? Yeah. Oh, how old's your kid? Right. That's going to done out of anybody that she talks to about whatever it is that you called about, who is she going to remember? Yeah. The one who asked about the baby. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. people like when like they get their ego stroked. People like when they again, like you mentioned, when their kids are talked about, people like anything about them. Because, I mean, everyone has a certain level of greed to themselves and a sort of selfishness that once you feed to it, they just want to give it back. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's like that's why when I am either cold calling or door knocking i lead all my que i lead everything into a question just to get just to not spit uh, um spit my pitch but rather get to know them sure so i could feed off what they say and then transfer it back into something positive so the trick is though just be genuine when you do it correct yeah right the, the where salespeople fail is they're like i'm gonna ask these scripted questions because yeah. then i'll get the deal dude if you're gonna ask the questions let your real persona shine through because if, if I sound like I'm reading from a script, like, hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> yeah. Really appreciate being here. There's nothing authentic yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. I'm getting uh, more and more into sales and the more I learn about it, it's not all of that complicated. It's really about your conviction. And it's almost like, first your product has to be amazing. And like when I structure my offer to people as far as my films and like what I can offer them for marketing services, I always say, like I try to make it seem like this is a next Bitcoin at, 
0.1%, like 0.1 cent. And with that mentality saying, I'm here to save you and I want to do everything I can for you to get you to the next level that you need because I know I can get you there. That's when things really start to change. But it wasn't like, I think I can make a buck. I used to, when I started out, I was like, I want to make a quick buck out of people. And it was like fun because when you start seeing money, you want to see like, oh, I can do a thousand dollars in this deal. Okay, real quick, let's do it. And then let's figure out how to fulfill it. But I don't even care about that. I just want to get the deal first. And I realized it was so bottomless because I wasn't even getting the fulfillment out of it because I got into film because I like the fulfillment of helping people and doing actual film and telling stories. And when I started getting more into the money side, I started seeing like, man, I'm not really connecting with anyone anymore. Why is that? Oh, wait, because you're chasing the check. The moment I stopped caring about the check, I actually started charging more because I realized the value that I actually provided. And with that, I was able to sell a lot better because I started seeing the actual value that caused them to transform their business into a next level. And it's like, just care about them. It's not rocket science. Care. So, and again, for you two to be as young as you are, and, and you just hit like five different things on the head in terms of sales, right? When you chase the check, what happened? You lose it. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. But when you're yourself, right? Now your value is even more recognized because you you it's actually you. Yeah. Right. So you can take your time making a passionate video and people will pay probably a lot more for it. Yeah. Because they can see the effort that you put into it. Right. And maybe it takes you an extra eight hours. But if you're getting an extra fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars out of it, yeah. what's eight hours, especially again, if you enjoy what you're doing, you're not even working. Right. You're doing something you're enjoying and cool. I get a check out of it. Yeah. Right. That's, really something cool. that's kind of why I switched from mortgages to teaching was I didn't love it anymore mm. i would bend over backwards you know and and not that I, I never wouldn't bend over backwards for people but sometimes you know things would just go unappreciated and i would really go out on a limb for some people but some people when you tell them no that's just not what they want to hear yeah right like if somebody asked you to film a video that was just completely impossible like you can't do it and then you tell them no now they go and they they say i would never use him for anything he yeah. couldn't you know make it happen and unfortunately there's people like that out there and it just kind of i was at a point where you know, it just kind of turned me off and I, I had recently lost my mom. So it was kind of like, are Sorry you doing what you were put on this earth to do? Right. And with my sport, I was, I know I was put here to do jujitsu. I know that. Um, but that's only one part of me, you know, there's different legs to life, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to explore, you know, all of them. Right. You're good. So what would you say are like your, the main legs of life that you strive to enjoy? I would say, you know, again, money's great, but live poor, like be rich people poor and poor people rich, right? So I don't live beyond my means. Like if you saw my apartment, there's a couch, a coffee table, a desk, and then a bedroom set. And it's just me and my dog that live there, right? So like when I get insurance, like how much, you know, do you have like $30,000 worth? I'm like two. <laughs> you know, right? Like you can take it. And, <laughs> you know? and it's like that old saying, um, by I think... Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else. So one day you can live like no one else. Yeah. And I feel like that's what you practice, what you preach. And that's what like, I truly like respect about you is that like, I like, I already know that you're going to have this huge portfolio of real estate stocks and this and that, but it's like, you, you also acknowledge that you're so young and you're going to live like you're poor now. So when you're in your fifties and sixties and beyond, you're like, you're going to have generational wealth. And I feel like that's what you're trying to create slowly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that and that's it. It's it's a slow process, right? Yeah. So so again, um, the legs of life would be to live poor people rich, rich people poor, right? So look, if I still want to go out and have a nice steak dinner, I will, right? It's not like I don't allow myself to enjoy life. Um, but Monday through Friday, I'm busy anyway, right? So I might as well be disciplined, 
And it's really easy. And I've noticed this when I had some surgeries and stuff when I was recovering, it's really easy to get home from work, throw something in the oven, turn on Seinfeld and be done. It's a lot harder to feed the dog, get dressed for jujitsu, you know, or, you know, get dressed for the gym or get dressed for softball, kickball, whatever it is that your hobby is, but keep your hobbies, right? That's leg two. If you don't have an outlet, man, life can really pile on, man. So I would say, you know, again, live within your means, but still enjoy yourself and explore your hot outside of work, explore your hobbies. Yeah. Right. It's okay to love what you do. And I do with teaching, but I still need to get away from it. When it hits 240, I am no longer a teacher, man. Yeah. So again, what you mentioned before about you doing things that aren't the easiest thing, like you could have just put a pizza in the oven or you could have just done this and, but you don't do the path of, you know, easiness. You take the path of least resistance rather. So my question is to you is like, how did you start building, building those habits? Was it jujitsu or was it um, sports or was it college or like, how did you start to build those habits? So I would say it started in high school, right? I had a really awesome cross country coach who instilled good habits and had us get rid of bad habits right away. And then we lived that life for three seasons a year for four years. So now it's a lifestyle. Right. And I didn't do it alone. I had five or six guys that, that we were a tight group that we did this journey together. Um, then we kind of went our separate ways in college, but the work ethic still stayed. All of us still worked out while we were in college. Every single one of us, some of us were running in college and other of us just found, you know, the gym or whatever else. Um, so that's kind of where it started. And then again, when FGCU started throwing all these hurdles my way, that was kind of where it clicked that I can either quit, right? Or I can just lower the shoulder, man, and and blast through these things. Just not, it's one point. How am I going to let one point yeah. three times in a row stand in my way? It's not going to happen anymore, right? And that's just kind of, that mentality came from, you know, training cross country and then ultimately training jujitsu, where jujitsu is like a chess game with somebody's body. And then life is like a chess game, right? I joke in class. I say, most people play checkers. I play chess, right? Beat two yeah. or three moves ahead, right? Which is the path that you guys are already kind of going down. Um, especially with what you said about your value and, and how you, you manage your company. And again, the same thing that you're looking to provide on, on your side. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also just to dive into you being a teacher, cause we don't, we didn't really talk about that yet. How did you really get in, get into like the teaching side of uh, so, things? So again, when I lost my mom, right, I was, I was looking at mortgages and I was like, man, is this, is this really what I want to do? And my mom, my mom, man, <laughs> she knew how to get me to do anything and this is how she would do it right so when i first started running cross country she's like you'll never get a varsity letter so i got 12 because i'm like you know what like like i i can't believe you don't think i can do this now she never believed that i couldn't do it yeah she just knew if she told me you can't do it i would move mountains to get it done just to spite her so that was our relationship, right? Yeah. And one day she said to me, because I always studied entrepreneurial business and entrepreneurial studies, and I always wanted to work for myself, and I knew I wanted to do something with business. One day she said to me, you know, your father owns his own company, your little brother started his own pressure washing company, and your older brother started his own staffing and recruiting company. So you're the one who studied all this business, and every other male in the family started their own business, Jeez. and you and you went and you worked for daddy, right? Because my, my dad is part owner of the mortgage company I, I represent. And- she told me that like a couple weeks before she died. Wow. But again, not in like a mean of course, way. I hear right? you. Right? Like, and I was like, man. So um I was sitting in the in the shower at the hospice center. Um, 
like just sitting on the floor crying because I knew, you know, what was going on. And it just hit me like a wave, like this woman, my whole life has made me a better version of myself because I was such an idiot that I couldn't, couldn't see past it. Right. And that just like obliterated my thinking, man, like blew, blew my mind. And then I got up and just said, I need to start doing something that I want to do. And I knew I wanted to get involved with coaching because my coach, if it wasn't for him, I probably would have been in a lot more trouble in life. Uh, not that he did anything specific, right? But by being that committed to that sport, he he did a lot more than he ever knew. Yeah. Um, and when I became a cross country coach, because he's a college cross country coach now, he said, if I ever need anything, you know, so again, he's still always there. And, and I feel as a coach, it's not, I have you for four seasons and I'm done. You, you got me for life, you know? Um, so I wanted to get into coaching and I saw with a bachelor's degree, you can be a substitute teacher right away, pays you a whole, you know, $13 an hour. Um, but I was like, you know what, if I substitute in high school, right, again, back to money, they'll pay me $150 a day, right? High school is, hey, my name is Mr. Morrow. Here's your work. Do it. Don't do it. Whatever. You know, I'm just going to sit here and write mortgages. So now the advantages were I'm up and at school at 645, right? You guys know substitutes just hand out work and chill. Yeah. So now all my emails are out before anyone else is even awake, right? I'm putting together loans and, and putting together deals and putting posts up on Instagram and Facebook to solicit business at, and timing it when I know people are going to be online, right? Between nine and 10, between four and five. Wow. Because my schedule opened up so well because so what clicked for me there was, hey, by being a substitute teacher, I shorten my hours of the day and I maximize my productivity as a loan officer and I make an extra $150 a day. Like, why wasn't I doing this before? So did you treat that as a side hustle, I feel like? Because I feel like you were more invested into social media and business than I'd rather substitute teaching. Because you, yeah. It, it seems like you didn't really care about it. You're just handing out words, click, like getting a check at the I end of the day. I knew it would get me into coaching, right? So okay. I started volunteer coaching at Deerfield Beach for, for wrestling. Um, worked with an awesome, awesome two coaches, Forbes and Burns. You know, shout out to them. They were great. And they were trying to get me head wrestling coaching jobs. And I was like, I don't think I'm ready for all that yet, you know. And then the coaching job for track opened at Stoneman. And I said, look, I'm not going to go sub at Deerfield or sub at Dillard and then drive here to coach track at Stoneman Douglas, right? So if you can make me the pool sub so I'm here every day, you know, I, I was locked in, right? Now I got to know you guys, which made it easier for me to be like, hey, listen, I'm writing, you know, mortgages relax, you know, and, uh, it just, it worked out. So, and you're right. Substitute teaching started as a side hustle, but then I actually fell in love with, you know, with the students and, and with being there and, and, um, you know, I was approached to teach personal finance cause I took over for coach May when he resigned as the weight training coach. Um, and just to throw some humor in here on your schedule, right. It would say personal FIT for personal fitness. Well, personal finance was a new course. It was, it didn't exist before, you know, my boss had approached me and asked if I wanted to teach it. And um, the next year when I started teaching it on the schedule, it said personal FIN instead of FIT, but it still had my name next to it because they knew it from the year before. So the first day of personal finance, I had like three parents <laughs> be like, coach, when do we go to the weight room? <laughs> I was like, guys, don't drop this class, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not going to go to the weight room. <laughs> So, and then it kind of grew from there. And now all I teach is personal finance and, and I, I genuinely love my job. So my side hustle actually became my passion and my, my main job now became my side hustle. And it's a side hustle. That's great. Cause you yeah. make a lot of money. Got you. So do you believe that every school should be teaching personal finance? 100%. 
Okay. Um, and I think there's a lot of students who believe it. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, and it, it's great because I'm spoiled at work now, the amount of aha moments that I get to see in my classroom, right? When a kid find like just gets it, right? Just something that was completely Einstein outer space to them before. And then you just see, you know, that, that gear kind of feel good. It's great. It's great. Or, you know, when a kid comes in and says, coach, I got the job, you know, that I applied for. I'm like, great. How did it go? You know, he's like, I asked him about his dog. Like, awesome. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and but but you guys deserve to know these things, right? Yeah. You're you're gonna be better armed than 90% of the people out there. You know, so okay, to answer your question, right? Is it better that Stoneman's really one of the only schools that has it? So it gives you guys an advantage, or right, the argument could then be, yeah, but what about you know uh, you know, urban cities or areas where these kids really do need to learn this stuff? Correct. Right. So in my opinion, yes, it absolutely should be taught everywhere. I think the people that are willing to to um, allow schools to integrate it are giving their students a massive advantage in terms of, again, I told you in the beginning of this podcast, I think if you know these tools, you'll probably save yourself $3 million over the course of your life, whether it's in retirement growth, you know, uh, not taking out a student loan to go on spring break, you know, all things along that, that kind of path. Yeah. And I would say that's why like we started this podcast really, yeah. it wasn't really for personal benefit, but it, it was rather just to educate other people and just kind of get the word out of hey like money is a tool you shouldn't you shouldn't be scared of looking at your bank account every morning you know thinking hmm like is this it like dude i forgot to tell you there's this one dude that called me he was starting like a car brokerage business and he had no idea what he was doing he's giving me a call he's like bro i saw you video on how to make an llc and now i have my own business and now we're actually doing some money like that's the craziest thing yeah. to get a call like that how did that make you feel oh my gosh i was just like i'm happy for you and like he's getting all these opportunities and like multiple people are starting to see more and more like how important it is to understand it's so basic it's abcs but it's abcs aren't presented that way it's abcs presented like it's a e equals mc squared mm -hmm. and that's and that's exactly it you know and there's a lot of i never knew that that meant that or yeah. that this was only this was all you had to do or like learn about compound interest and seeing how that even applies to like personal fitness and like compound growth in any area it's like basic concepts that just aren't broken down because in my opinion a lot of business we want to keep it as a secret and keep their prestige and uh anyone can be a millionaire i think 100 percent. we're gonna That's prove it too like it's it's very the steps are laid out the billionaire is maybe the crazy goal that we want to achieve but a millionaire is a lot more achievable and i'm sad that it's hyped up to be this crazy task that is shown i i agree with you 100 percent. not to cut you off Sean. Oh, every person can be a million i don't care where you come from i don't care if you work at mcdonald's yeah. if you do a couple things right and be willing to work you know not all sunshine and rainbow style oh it's terrible you'll absolutely make a million dollars yeah i, I was I, I was just gonna add on to that i was, I was about to say like the average joe can be like a millionaire i mean it's just about putting things into a retirement fund or just letting things grow that's it that's that's all you need to do again like what you do live below your means and just live a simple lifestyle but again like for me it's like i don't want like that slow growth in a way of like i don't want to like put like 33 percent of my income into a roth ira and then stocks like again like i want to build like this whole real estate portfolio and then hopefully own a couple businesses and have a couple hotels like but that's in the long run but more like a monopoly game but my question to you is what is your rule of saving? Like what is your rule on investing and what is your rule on money? So the rules, right? If you 
read David Ramsey or read, um, you know, the, the index card, which is a great book on just like, you can write on an index card, basically 10 financial rules for your whole life and you'll be a millionaire. So that's, yeah. a, that's a great, like 60 page book. If you guys ever just bored and want to smash through that. Um, but essentially it would be, look, try and only save 20%, but save it the right way so that when it grows, it's more like 30 or 40%. And then if, if you have to use that 80% for your lifestyle, like, you know, you have a baby or whatever else, you know, you, you have that then. But if you allocate 20% and then you realize you're only living off 60%, okay, maybe juice yourself 10, right? So you can live a little extra outside your means. If you know, you're a huge dolphin fanatic and you want to buy season tickets, right? Know the cost to come with it. You know, parking pass, season tickets, food every week that you go, right? Everything else. Yeah. You know, so again, um, you allocate your extra, some of your extra money there and then other extra money, right? You can either take more calculated risks with that may have a higher gamble of, of a rate of return, right? So now we talk about your crypto, your GameStop, all that crazy stuff. Um, or you keep pushing into your retirement funds, right? But again, you can take it in steps. And I think everyone just feels like it has to be the set rule. Right. So for example, um, when I set up my life insurance Roth IRA, it was two days after the Super Bowl and I was smoking a cigar with my boy, you know, during the Super Bowl. So when I went to take my life insurance test, like, hey man, you tested, you know, high for tobacco. So you have the highest rate now. So you're gonna pay two hundred dollars a month when really sixty of it's gonna go towards wow. your account. You know, so there's a cheat code right there, right? When you're getting ready to take your life insurance test, no tobacco, right? No alcohol, none of that stuff, and work out for the month before, you know, if you're not somebody who works out generally yeah because they told me you tested off the charts for a 26 year old right but why not get life insurance when you're 22. i didn't so, even know i don't know much about life insurance at all i was actually just talking to sean i was like we need to learn more about it so i didn't even know there's a test so mine is called a, a whole life insurance roth ira it's a combination right so essentially the way it works is if i drop dead tomorrow my family still gets money right but if i don't drop dead tomorrow and i make it till i'm 65 i get to take forty thousand dollars a year tax-free because it's from my death benefits to live off of. Mm. Wow. So, and all the money, right, when I die, still goes to my family, going back on that generational wealth because I'm living off the growth now. Correct. Right? So that's a, a whole life Roth IRA. Um, and look, you guys have a couple of years to figure that out. I wouldn't say go and seek that out right now, but while you're young and healthy, right, is a great time to do it because, you know, who knows if you get diagnosed with celiac disease like me. So I got all that stuff done before I ever got diagnosed with celiac disease because I didn't want that to affect the rate. But once they issue life insurance, they can't go back and be like, you have cancer now. So, mm. you know, we're not, we're not going to cover you. They That's don't... why it's super for younger people because they have nothing wrong with them. Yeah. But if you wait till you're 30, 35, 40, now your rate's higher, right? So now you have to allocate more funds to fees than instead of allocating more funds to growth, right? So the difference, right? If you start your retirement planning at 22 instead of 24, more than likely you'll end up with $4 million in retirement instead of two. Yeah. Just by compound. Three yeah. years. Right. And you're not going to see it initially. You won't see it till 20, 30 years down the line. But that chart, right? And I know they can't see, usually starts like this. And then once you get to the end, man, it it's a, it's a vertical line. Yeah. I hear people like if they're successful without the funds, they're like 85 and they still haven't touched it. And it's grown to like 10, 20 million. They're like almost, I heard like they force you to start taking out a certain amount of money because they might, the amount yeah, they of, generational wealth that's going to go from the the boomers and the the world war ii babies right is the most amount of money that millennials or anybody else is ever going to see coming down wow. as an inheritance and i think the more that this financial literacy is taught 
right? Our kids. But again, based on inflation, because, you know, we printed all the money that's in circulation right now, 20% of it was printed in the last year. Yeah. That has to catch up to us at some point, right? Yeah. But that's why retirement accounts early are a great thing because they'll outpace inflation no matter what. So mm. that that's another part of the game, right? That's the chess game. That's the next level. Got you. And then also just to dive more into your personal finances without naming numbers or saying too sure. much. How do you deal with the paycheck? How do you, where do you put where and how do you like, so, what, like what do you do personally? So great question. Um, again, I have that whole life insurance IRA that, that I allocate a certain amount of money to every month. Um, and then I have a 403B with, with school as a teacher mm-hmm. and I allocate um, a certain percentage of my pay to that. And there's another growth rate that's guaranteed because it's a 403B. So it might grow at 13%, but it's guaranteed to grow at like, let's say at least 5%. So they match it too or no? There's no matching in that one, but I'm guaranteed a certain growth rate. Okay. So it's almost risk-free. Correct. I'll take no mass. Like you'll never no, the negatives. I'll take no, no yeah, match yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for no risk okay. all day long. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's only one account that, that that's that way, right? I have a 401k with the mortgage company. So, And since that's my side business, 15% of every commission I make right into my 401k. Gotcha. Now, my mortgage company doesn't match 15%. They match four or five. But now 19 to 20% of my mortgage income goes into a 401k and that doesn't count the growth at all. So if 19 to 20% is going in and it grows at 12% that year, well, 32% growth on a thousand dollars is 320 bucks, right? So I'm chilling yeah. and that's only one account. And then I have the whole life in the IRA and then I have the 403b with school, right? And then um, if social security is still around would be the other one. And then I'm still part of the Florida pension system as well because I'm a teacher. So in theory, you know, when I call it quits, I'll have five revenue steam streams and I'm oh, not counting, smokes. I'm not counting hopefully the jujitsu gym that I'll either own or manage or, or have going on for me as well. Gotcha. So you're, so it, it, I mean, it's, it seems like you're just playing both the long game and then also the short, simple game of, well, you want to acquire all these assets. And again, like we talked about, before the podcast started, you actually are closing on your first home, right? Correct? This is my first home, yeah. First home of many, yeah. hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Got it. So just to dive deep, like more like deeper into real estate, do you also want to own a good amount of properties and be a landlord and do maybe do Airbnbs or what's the kind of what's the plan with that? Absolutely. Um so so again, by not living outside of your means, and again, another great question. You know, the house I'm buying is not a very large house, but it's it's two bedroom, two bath, and it's big enough for me and my dog, right? So when I outgrow it, whether, you know, I start a family or whatever else, it should be pretty simple to, there's a nursing school in Palm Beach State that's 15 minutes away from that house, right? So I think it'd be smart to seek out, I don't know, some graduate, mature graduate students, right? That are willing to pay $1,000 a month to live somewhere secure, right? Where they don't have to really think about much. Yeah. They'll pay my mortgage. I'll get a little bit of revenue off of it. And then I save up and, and move on to bigger and better things and buy something else for me. Now, the cheat code there, and I'm not breaking any laws saying this, um, would be it's my primary residence when I buy it now. So now when I go to buy another house, guess what it is? Primary residence. Right. But does that mean I have to change the interest rate no. on the house I have now? So if I have a low interest rate here and then I go buy another house, now it's an investment property. As long as I don't refinance it, I get to keep it at that low interest rate apply all the extra revenue from that rent to paying off that mortgage. And now I have an asset paid off, 
right? So now yeah. the rent, the, the, the revenue stream, instead of being $300 a month, is going to be $1,500 a month. Got right? you. Because there's no debt tied to the property. I just have to pay the taxes and the insurance. Wow. Now, the house that you bought, was it a fixer upper or was it just like uh, kind of no, kind of like it's moving around? ready. I bought it as is. I would say, you know, maybe the kitchen needs to be updated. But again, dude, it's me and a dog. Got <laughs> I'll you. update the kitchen yeah, yeah, yeah. Board, you know? <laughs> so you, the next property you want to buy, do you want that to be like a fixer upper? More like sweat equity in a way? Um, I mean, look, right? Like fixing a fence, stuff like that and projects. I love learning, getting better. And the great thing about being a teacher is I have all summer to take on an endeavor. Yeah. Right. But on the flip side... um. I think there's something to be said for time management as well, right? So if I can find a house that has all the value that I don't have to get on my hands and knees and fix, yeah. well, I'm fat and old, man. I'm probably going to do that one and find that value rather than say, hey, this house is at a big discount. I like it, but now I, I maybe bite off more than I can chew. Now, again, if you're an expert in that field, right, then you would know what to look for way better than I would. But for me, just being a novice at you know buying a home, if I go to buy another one, I would probably look for a similar thing to what I have now. Could it use a little work? Yeah. Can I do most of it? Sure. Yeah. Right. And then That's I'll fair. outsource the rest of it for a couple grand so that I don't have to actually. But again, the value there is I saw a property that only needed $5,000 worth of repairs or 15000 instead of sixty or seventy. Yeah. But right. also since you're in the mortgages, you could also do a FHA 203B. 203K. 203K. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's true. Um. And again, FHA products though, you have mortgage insurance for the life of the loan until you refinance. Yeah, but you don't plan to put 20% down. Uh, so okay, well, so either way, you're going to be paying P, like PMI uh, for a, well, a little bit. Yeah, and in theory, right? But, but again, so the more money you can put down, the less you pay in PMI and the better your credit score is, right? Um, and 203Ks are a great product, right? Yeah. But I would say to maximize the benefit, you're not putting a 203K loan on your house and then flipping it in six months. You know, it, it has to be that you want to live there for, for a long time. Yes. Right. And uh, it has to be a non-arms length transaction, meaning you can't be related to the person who's going to do the work. And the person who is going to do the work has to give me references. They have to list out all the materials and all their labor. And a lot of people don't really want to do that because what if the project runs behind? So now they have to charge mm -hmm. more in labor. So now the loan amounts off. Yeah. Right. So, and I've done a couple, two or three Ks and it is, it's a great product. Don't get me wrong for the right people. Right. Um, but again, you have that higher PMI because PMI on an FHA loan is higher than a conventional if you have a good credit score. Um, so wouldn't you rather right buy a house as is and then you can fix it at your own time if if it's going to be. So look, if it's a house that needs sixty to $70,000 worth of repairs and you can make that house look immaculate and you can roll it into a FHA 203K, which is kind of the ones that I've worked with, they are a phenomenal, phenomenal product. But- I would say that they're few and far between. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe coming off of, you know, COVID, if people went into forbearance on their mortgages and now they can't pay back the money that they owe, you know, again, aren't you going to be mad that you can't afford your house anymore? So this is what happened in 2008 to 2012. People were ripping the copper out of the, out of the walls. They were taking the washer and dryer. Yeah. They were, yeah, taking, yeah. Taking, they were maximizing the value out of the asset that, that they were losing. Yeah. You know, so again, a 203K loan, okay, we got to redo the electric, right? We'll put all these appliances in for you. So again, right. something like that, it would it would work, yeah. Got you. And then since buying your first house, and I'm pretty sure you, you have a really good rate. I would hope so. And yeah. then I'll, I'm, I'm also assuming you have really good credit, right? Yes. And then how did you build that? Um, so that's a great question. And it took me about 
I would say two years to go from a bad credit score with bad things on my report. So we're talking like a 560. Um, oh, wow. Honestly. How'd you get that? How'd you get that low? Um, so when I was in college and I was getting diagnosed with celiac disease, yeah. I wasn't smart enough to either just pay cash when I had to go to these specialists and things like that. I was putting everything on a credit card. Oh my Damn. gosh. Right. Now, if you go to the hospital, right, and they send you a medical bill and you don't pay it, okay, it'll go on your credit and things like that. But if you charge it to a credit card, that's what you're there's right. no way around it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So right out of the gate, I would say when it comes to medical bills, right, if you can't afford it, don't put it on a credit card ever. Don't ever do that. Right. If they want to charge you and bill you and you can't pay it, that's a way easier battle than having it put on your credit card, not to mention the 24 or 30% interest they're going to charge on, on it on top of it. So don't ever use a credit card to pay for a medical bill. Um, our medical system is a little screwed up anyway, but that's, you know, conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, so don't ever use a credit card to pay a medical bill. I think that's, an, you know, it's awful that they even let you do it. So that was, that was the main thing that tanked your score? Because I wasn't paying it, right? Like yeah. I'm sick. I can't work. All right. I was losing, you know, I was, I lost 30 pounds when I was getting diagnosed and I was just sick all the time, man. It was the last of like two years. Wow. Um, I still worked through, you know, through it cause I had to survive and make money and stuff, but it was an agonizing two years. And I ended up with about $4,000 in credit card debt just from going to all these specialists and doctors and things like that, just to find out that they didn't know what was wrong with me anyway. Wow. So, um, how'd you get through it? Like what? My friend's girlfriend actually, uh, said, Hey, I did some research. Don't eat bread for like three days and tell me how you feel. Like, don't just eat like chicken and mashed potatoes for three days. So I was like, well, it can't, it can't get worse. So, yeah. okay, dude, it was like somebody turned on a switch. Like I was better in two days and I had felt awful for two years. Oh my gosh. So, how'd you feel after like, what was going through your head when it was that simple? Literally that, like how, <laughs> how could I have spent this much time and resources and money? Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. Oh, that's and terrible. nobody could figure this out. Right. Uh, Google search fixed it. And, and my buddy's girlfriend at the time was just like, and the ironic part was I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the hospital. And I was eating French onion soup at her bar, which has bread in it. Yeah. Right before I went to the hospital. And then that's when she texted me and said, don't eat bread for three days. I was like, you just gave me bread. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's kind of what hurt my score. And then what I did was I just, you know, I got one credit card and I didn't charge anything more than what I knew I could pay off that month. So I would just put gas or groceries on it, right? And after three months, I called them and I was like, hey, can you give me a higher limit? And of course, if you make three payments on time, they're like, sure, we'll give you more money because we're waiting for you to screw up. Yeah. That's, that's what they want. Um, so, and then I, I had my old car paid off, but it was kind of a beater at that point. So I got a new car and that really boosted my credit. Um, getting a new car and making all your payments on time and you can afford. Yeah. So right, it was a lease, right? Yeah. So, so a lease made it way more affordable. Yeah. Um, and at the time that's what I needed, right? I didn't have the money to buy a car. And again, not living beyond my means, you know, the car I was coming from was every couple months I had to put a couple hundred dollars in it to fix it. Whether it was, you know, the serpentine belt or the engine coolant filter line, um, you know, the starter, the alternator, cause it was just an old car. It was seven, eight years old and things are breaking. So I'm like, for all the money I'm paying to keep this thing running, I might as well just go get a new car. So I got a, a, an affordable lease. Um, and by paying that every month, shot yeah. my credit up from like that and, and the good credit card history now shot me up from a 560 to probably close to a 700 within a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then I just slowly got more cards. And actually that was when I was substitute teaching and doing mortgages and trying to get certified, you know, to teach full time. So I was juggling a lot of things. 
And I'll be honest, I was, I was pretty broke at the time because I, I wasn't really focused on mortgages anymore because I was really focused on, you know, learning how to be a teacher. Yeah. Um, so I actually had to go back to working at a restaurant. So that, that first year that I substitute taught for May, going into my first year teaching, I went back and worked at a Duffy's that summer wow. to make sure that I could afford to pay all my bills. And that was the same summer that I basically stole, not stole, but I, I saved somebody's puppy. So I got a dog. I'm like, what am I doing? Taking on a new career. I got a new dog. I'm working at a restaurant just to make ends meet. Like I'm burning a candle at both ends. Yeah. And you know what? Again, right through the crucible is, is, is where, where you're made. Yeah. And um, I came out and, and even adjusting to being a teacher, right, was was pretty hard. There's been a lot of patience for that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was like, I'm going to be, you know, a different kind of teacher. Uh, right. Yeah. And I didn't realize that there's rules, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there was an adjustment. Absolutely. There was an adjustment. Um, but, you know, I learned to play within the rules and, and still get to have a lot of fun in my class. And again, I absolutely love what I get to do every day. Those aha moments and things like that. And now financially, right. I knew it was going to be rough for a year. I just kept telling myself, if you can survive this year. And I had, again, nobody gets anywhere without a little bit of help. I called my brother and I was like, Hey man, I either may have to liquidate my 401k or I may need to borrow like 1500 bucks to get me through. Right. I hope I don't have to, cause I think I'm going to get this restaurant job and then even the restaurant job. Right. So you guys will appreciate this. Um, I went to these fancy restaurants like Gary racks and Del Rey and Maggiano's and Boca and, you know, cause I used to work at some fancy spots and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm just looking to see if I can be, you know, a server or a bartender. You know, um, I didn't give a time frame cause I knew if I said for the summer, nobody would hire me. Right. So I was smart enough not to tell them for how long I was working. And they were all like, well, you know, you haven't really been a server or a bartender in like eight years. So we're looking for somebody with a little more relevant experience. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Has something changed from hi, my name's Mike. What can I get you to drink today? <laughs> you know? And, and I was like, are we serious? Like this is so you said that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I was driving home after going to like four restaurants and I was defeated. Right. Like I said, you just have these, I'm over it. And I was driving by a Duffy's and I was like, you know what? I worked at Miller's Ale House forever. I'm like, let me just try something. So I go in there and, and counterintuitive to what I teach in my class. Right. Um, I go, Hey, I'm just curious if you guys are hiring. And she's like, yeah, come sit down. And my general manager's here. We'll both interview right now. And I was like, well, wasn't expecting that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I go and I sit down and um, she's like, why do you want to work here? And I'm like, honestly, I don't want to go because I was so mad at those fancy places, right? I'm like, I don't want to go work somewhere where I have to be somebody I'm not. I'm like, if somebody comes in wearing a Cowboys hat, I want to tell them I hope their team loses today, but hey, I'm going to get you the best burger you're going to have east of the Mississippi, right? She's like, I love you. Oh my I was gosh. like, okay. You showed personality. Right? So yeah. So that was your like, fifth place that you went to? Yeah, it was the fifth place that day. So again, still no quit, right? And I just was, it was just yeah. And it was a mile from my house, and I was like, you know what? One more, man. You know, like one more. Um, and it worked out. And then the general manager came over. We kind of had the same conversation, and she was a Cowboys fan, right? So again, asked her about herself, right? She's like, yeah. I heard your Cowboys joke, and I was like, yeah, well, they are a joke, you know. We just kind of <laughs> played played off that, and yeah. and she's like, when can you start? And I was like, tomorrow, <laughs> you know. No, I mean that. I mean that kind of sounds like the same story that I went through. Um, so I always realized that I wanted to be like a real estate agent, just because my goal was to help people in life, and I'm like, okay, well. I want to help people, but I also want to make a shit ton of money. So I was like, how can I combine both and just have a great life? So I decided to do real estate and I was like, okay, well to do real estate, I have to learn about real estate. So I go to like all these real estate offices. I went to one, they're like, oh my gosh, great. We would love to hire you. I'll call you in a week. 
no call, no nothing. I showed up at their place. I spoke to them. They're like, no, we're not interested. Um, after that, I probably went to 10 other offices. I said, Hey, I'm Sean. I'm, I'm in high school. I haven't graduated yet, but I, I'm, I'm driven. I'm motivated and I'm a self-starter. Can I work? And they were like, no. And then I probably went to 19 other offices around Coral Springs. And I said the same pitch. I said who I am. And I said what I can bring to the table. They were like, no. And then after this was like the last real estate office of the day, it was up. So I went to this one office building next to blue realty and I said, hi, I'm Sean whole pitch. He was like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to hire, but maybe they are. I, I literally go into blue realty and I'm like, hi. But so again, one more stop. So just one more stop. Like it was my last stop of the day. Like I was just drained. Um, I was sweating. I was wearing like a button down shirt like this. I, I, I was drenched head to toe, just walking probably 10 miles to around offices, around other places. And I go in, I say, hi, you might have to speak, you might have to speak to the manager. He's like, yeah, I'm the manager. I say, um, my name is Sean. Say my pitch. He's like, okay, find a desk and start working. And then that's. And after you were drained. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he was like, find a desk and start working. And then that day I work. And then um, after like two weeks, I get him like three leads. And then it was kind of business, smooth sailing from then. So. Okay. So let me ask you, do you think, you know, maybe that was kind of a test. Like, were you, do you think he noticed this, this dude's been, been out there today? Like just the way you walked in and, and you said you were, you know, you were kind of sweaty. Probably, but I didn't take the same approach you did. I, I didn't mention that I went to all these other offices. I just said, hi, like, can I please work for you? Like I have so much to bring to the table. I have well, so no. much value. So to be clear, I didn't admit that I just got defeated at four different oh, restaurants. Okay. I just walked in and said, I don't want to work at one of those 40 toity restaurants. Okay. I didn't okay. say I just okay. came. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cause to your point, you don't ever want to, uh, it's okay to fail. Yeah, right? yeah. But you don't ever want to walk in and be like, Hey, four other people just rejected me, but, yeah. I, but I'm here to Correct. tell you how great I impression. am. No. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it really didn't go like that. And more went like, they just realized that I'm just some young kid. He 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 did respect that I'm in high school. That I'm I'm still trying to work. And then from that day, um, because it was online school, I would go to the office every day while doing online school, while doing real estate. And um, after the first month, I actually closed on my first real estate deal without even getting my license because of the fact that I brought a referral to someone else by door knocking that they got that I actually got a half of of my first deal. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So then after then, um, a month later, I got my real estate license. And then after my real estate license, I closed on my second deal. And then now, you know, yeah, here's the story. So and look, right. It's kind of like kicking the snowball down the hill, right? That first one probably felt impossible. Yeah. But now you're at deal three already, right? Yep. Before you even, you know, blinked. Um, so again, it tends to be once you kick that snowball, right? As long as it's rolling downhill, you're, you're good. Yeah. So, you know, in real estate, markets tend to tend to be everything. So even in a bad market, if you can keep one or two deals trickling in a month, right? That that keeps that that momentum, that ball rolling. It's when you stall for like two or three months. Yeah. Right? So so for a young agent or a young you know loan officer or even a young self starter like yourself, um, I I would say try and just make sure that you have something coming in to feed you at least once a month. So that you keep that hunger and you realize you got to keep feeding the machine. You got to keep feeding that monster. Yeah. You know, um, now sometimes, right. I'll have, I'll be like, I know I'm not going to close anything this month, but that means there's going to be, you know, eight or nine deals that are closing it. Cause sometimes the timing's just off. Correct. Right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that it's going to be that you're going to close every month, but if you try and feed the machine every month, you'll, you know, that that's just going to keep you systemically 
rolling and come up with processes, right? Like another thing I say is swallow the frog, do the hardest thing first, right? So again, if you yeah. say, if you got three leads for, you know, videos and you know, you got to tell somebody that you can't shoot one and that's going to be the hardest part of your day, right? Get that out of the way first. Cause now you're like, cool. I already did the hardest thing I got to do today. What else am I going to, you know, run through? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of momentum. No, that's fair to say. And then also just my biggest question is what is your why? Like, why do you wake up every morning and why do you do what you do? So, um, that's, that's another great question. And honestly, again, it was when I started going down the path to be a teacher, I had no clue. This is where it was going to end up to the point where like, I don't mind getting up at five 15 in the morning to go to work because I know every day I'm going to enjoy what I do that day. And that's, that's awesome. Like you can't replace that. I feel like I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd. Right. And Stoneman Douglas to me is my Hogwarts. Like that's, that's my home. And it was just crazy. Cause like I was such a baby in the, in the teaching field when I started there and it was such a new thing for me. And this is actually my first year where people I've known since they were freshmen are going to be graduating seniors, right? Like this is my, my fourth year in completion there. And it's just, it's just, I can't believe how fast time goes, especially when you're having fun and you enjoy what you do. So, you know, my why is right. Like, you know, my, both of my brothers make a lot of money and I'm, I'm super happy for them, but they work their butts off and I don't want that. Like I, I, I can have everything that they have without having to sacrifice everything that they sacrifice, if that makes sense. So I get to go to work and I work seven and a half hours a day as a teacher, right? Then I get to go work two or three hours a day as a coach. Then I get to go play one or two hours as a dog, dog dad. Then I get to go be a jujitsu monster for two hours, right? Then I get to be a fat kid before I go to bed. <laughs> so I guess it's like, I just kind of put myself in all these roles. Like, yeah. cool, I get to put on my, my teacher hat today, or I get to put on my coach hat today, or I get to put on my mortgage. Like I didn't even mention mortgages in that day. Yeah. Right. But in the car ride or whatever, I'll, you know, I'll put on my mortgage hat and make, make I think the that's a that big thing to efficiency as well, because, uh, if you like Elon Musk said, if you give yourself like 10 years to do something, you're going to take 10 years. Same thing. If you give yourself a whole day to do something, you're going to take a whole day. And I think the fact that you make yourself do so many different things almost makes you have to prioritize what's important. You say like after 240, I'm not a teacher anymore. I feel like a lot of teachers can't say that. And I feel like it goes in most industries as well. It's like you have to like give yourself enough time, get everything done. But there's you don't need as much time as you think. And, and you're absolutely correct. And right. And that doesn't mean right at 240, if Sean walked in my room and said, Hey coach, you have oh, a couple of, of minutes. I want, yeah. I want to ask you something. Right. I don't mean I just shut down no, like definitely. the Terminator, yeah. you know, but, but to your point, right. There's a lot as of people. The schedule goes. Yeah. There's a lot of people that can't separate their, their work life from their private life. And I honestly feel like, you know, not to say that this is my why, but that is such an important factor that people ignore because when life gets hard, lines get blurred. Right. And it's really hard to separate your your work and personal life, especially right with technology and everything we have. You know, like I don't have my school emails on my phone. I won't do it. One, they don't pay my cell phone bill, right? But two, why would I want to torture myself when I'm not contractually obligated to, to yeah. do that at that time? Right. And it doesn't mean, look, if one of my kids called my cell phone because they have my number or emailed my Greenway mortgage email because they needed something, would I help them if I could? Sure. Right. But, you know, I don't want to answer an email at 10 o'clock on a Saturday that, you know, Johnny can't submit his work on time. I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which so, you have a perfect work, work, work life balance. So, um, yeah. And it's not all perfect. Right. There's, okay. there's sometimes I'm 15 minutes late to jujitsu because I'm sitting in my car finishing a mortgage call. 
right? But money's money too. Yeah, you know, correct. That deal's gonna pay my jujitsu, you know, tuition for the year. So yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. take the 15 minutes to finish the call. So to to Darren's point, it's prioritizing, right? I can be 15 minutes late for a two and a half hour training session to secure, you know, another paycheck. Yeah. Right. So and and you're also right in the sense that it's not just teachers. There's a lot of people that can't separate their work life from their private life. Like as as a salesman, right? You you need to be on your phone 24-7. And as a young salesman, you should be accessible more often than not, because that's what gonna be the difference maker that makes you deals. Right. Like one of my top, you know, lines when I was getting started was, you know, why would you pick me over Wells Fargo? Because if you call Wells Fargo at 7 p.m., no one's gonna answer the phone. If you have a burning mortgage question, you can't sleep at night, you can call me and I'll I'll try and make it better for you if I can, right? Yeah. Or at least tell you what's going on if, if I can. So um, when you're initially starting out, right? Again, sacrifices. But now, right? Because I have so many different things going on and, and I have leveraged so many different revenue streams. If I don't feel like taking a mortgage call at eight o'clock because I'm tired because of jujitsu and teaching all day, well, guess what I'm not going to do, right? I might say, hey, listen, I don't have time right now. Can I call you tomorrow? Or I might just not answer it at all. Yeah. And that's not good sales practice. But again, my work-life balance is mortgages is my side hustle now. Now, if I take you on as a client, I'm still going to do everything I can for you. But I'm also to the point where at 34 years old, if I don't want to answer my phone at eight o'clock at night, I'm just simply not going to do it. Yeah. Phenomenal why. That, yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't get a, yeah. a better why than that. Got you. Well, I mean, it's been an awesome podcast, and it's honestly great having you on. My so pleasure. It's crazy that you're here right now, just because again, like a week ago, you were teaching me, and now you're in my house, having, uh, <laughs> allowing me to ask you all these burning questions. So I sure, appreciate and it. Hey, you kept the gloves on. You asked fair questions. Yeah, right? you didn't yeah, put yeah. Me in any bad spots? So, Probably not. Um, I know you guys are signing off, but if you talked about how you guys got started, just oh yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. of course, of yeah. course. Um, I can get started. So yeah. I. Let's see. High school, I was a goof. I didn't do too much. I was that kid that you probably like saw just like hanging around the halls and do too much. I wasn't the greatest student, um, but I did know one thing that I had to take that time to figure out what I actually wanted to do in some form. And then as soon as high school ended, life hit me like a truck. Parents weren't going to pay your bills. You don't get all those handouts all of a sudden. It's like instant. So I got in my car, texted a few people. I was like, who needs some video work? And I started working with a local gym. Made a lot of mistakes, more mistakes than I could think of. Um, made stupid purchases, blew all my bank account money a few times. Like it was that the first year of being in business was just bad because I wasn't working as hard as I could, first of all. And then I felt like I was on top of the world because my ego was to the roof. And then it got to a point where like I was just falling on my face over and over and over. And it got to the point where I was like, I don't think I was cut out for it. And then I was about to throw in the towels, but I saw all my camera gear and everything like that. I had a couple thousand dollars because like I was like, I need to focus on school. I need to focus on an actual future because this is not working for me. I really thought that so you were at the end of the road, I was at the end of the road, but then, cause this last person like screwed me over in a deal and it was really bad and like completely killed my mental. Like I was down and then I was like, I just can't take some It's too much stress, like whatever. So I applied for Chipotle, um, bought a sell my camera gear. And then the person that screwed me over the deal, he didn't pay me. I lost like about a thousand dollars, which is like the rest of my to money. You, that's, that's a lot, money. Of, that's money, a lot yeah. of money. And, uh, he, it was just like a constant thing of balance. I got to get over a lot of personal blocks and of course things that I had to do. And then I, the last phone call that he called me back, he was going to call me to like almost get in a fight, like justify why he didn't want to pay me. And I said, Hey man, how are you doing? Like I was very nice, but I didn't start a fight. Cause I realized at that point, like I'm done fighting's not going to solve anything. I'm not trying to solve anything. So I said, how are you doing? Is there anything? How's home? Is everything okay? He said, man, uh, that was 
not what I was expecting. I was expecting a fight. Let me put you on a meeting with my mentor. Mentor ends up signing me to a really big deal. From there, she's only up. I got a really good connections. Started working with like a Palm Beach magazine. Started working with bigger corporate jobs. And it's only been uphill from there. Um, is that the word uphill? But only sure. up from there. And now I'm just slowly growing and trying to not make stupid mistakes and avoid anything that I can. So, so again, right, you kind of went through that. Everyone goes through it. It's yeah. part of the story. But and you I'm, were applying at Chipotle and the dude who wasn't going to pay you. I got rejected from Chipotle, first of all. Which, I didn't hey, hey, man, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Yeah. Um, so, again, that probably didn't help your ego, right? Oh, so maybe your ego needed to be deflated it, a little bit. It had to be. That was a KO to my ego. And ever since then, it's always been a road of what don't I know and how can I find out what I don't even know? But would you ever say, I'm not even good enough to work at Chipotle, right? Like, that's not how you look at yourself now. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's the blow your ego needed just to kind of hit the reset. I needed that big reset. Button. And that reset has been only beneficial to me. Well, hey, I wish you all the best. And you already came, you know, from a hard place and overcame it. So I hope I hope you have nothing but, but easy struggles, you know, moving wow, forward. You can yeah. only wish. <laughs> so, and then we heard your story. So how did you guys link up to do this, this personal finance um well just to dive deep deeper into my story um just the reason why i'm so like an advocate of like personal finance and like generational wealth is because the fact that my mom for a long time she was a single mom like i didn't have this whole lifestyle of oh i live in a gated community oh i live in such a nice house like it was like it was a struggle day by day seeing her work like two or three jobs a night and then also on top of my dad not paying child support like it was like it was a rough time and at least our life and um something clicked when i was like 10 or 11 i was like whatever i do i need to be successful that that i will never see this coming throughout my entire life of just struggling this bad and just working this hard for 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 basically like breadcrumbs at the end of the day like after all the bills are paid so at 14 i decided to work at Publix, and i was like okay i'm gonna work here i'm gonna have a saving rule i'm gonna save 50 percent of everything so that was when i first acquired you know some like some sort of financial knowledge without even researching anything and then from 14 to 18 that's when i that's like that's when i finished and started uh started and then finished Publix. so i was grabbing carts at like 12, 12 in the afternoon it was probably 98 degrees outside i was wearing this whole Publix outfit and i decided i was like i feel like i had so much more potential than working at Publix. like i knew i, I wasn't going to be like a Publix for lifer but I, it was rather of like I can like again. I can leverage my time into more money. Like the same question I asked you. So you and, it was high noon and hundred degree weather and, in South Florida. Exactly, and I'm making basically it. minimum wage. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> so I, I walk inside and I just quit. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm putting in my two weeks. Do not schedule me anymore. I'm done. And then after that, I'm jobless. And I'm like, oh shit. Like, what do I do? <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking about applying to an ice cream shop. And I'm like, oh god, I'm gonna have to start from ground zero. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I, and I see like a DoorDash ad and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a dasher. So it was being like, like, um, being my own boss in a way was nice. And then making my own hours and then making my own money. And then that kind of stopped when my mom was like, Hey, there's no insurance on the car that says your car can be like a work car. Mm -hmm. So she was like, it needs to stop. And I say, okay. So uh, now being a problem solver, me having more knowledge, I was like, okay, so what can I do that can be my own boss? And then do something that i like and that was real estate so okay. that so that was kind of more of my journey too and um but, and, and that's another reason why I'm, I'm so like advocate about money and talking about it and being so forthcoming with it 
in a way. I don't know if that's the right word. No, I, but yeah, absolutely. I hear you on the same because yeah. like I grew up in a family where just bad financial mistakes over and over and over again, and you gotta get fed up. And then when you see that in front of your eyes and see the outcome of it, especially. You're just like, like nothing can say that you're going to make those same mistakes. And it's, yeah, I won't let this happen to me. Right. And I probably want to help the people that I see struggling. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. And that's why like, look, I don't have any kids or, you know, a wife or a girlfriend. So when I croak, that life insurance policy just goes all to my brothers and sisters and my nieces and nephews, man. But I, I plan on giving them enough money. One that if, and when I have my own family, they'll have it, but enough that it will affect every single member of my family in a, in a very positive way. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, we didn't get to life insurance yet, but when I teach it, right, I teach that, look, what other asset is going to guarantee you a payout? <laughs> None of us are living forever, right? So life insurance is a product that's guaranteed to give you a payout, but we're all so afraid to talk about it that nobody wants to get it. Yeah. yeah. And then also just on how we met, um, I was doing a podcast and uh, I, I, did, I probably did one or two. Terrible audio. I used my computer. I used my iPhone camera and I stood it up with some like um, stack stool. Of <laughs> like it, it, it was the most like ghetto thing you've ever seen in your entire hey, man, life. You shot your shot though. Exactly. And then um, just kind of looking back at it now to my first episode with Mr. Powell and now going with you, it's like the, the amount of progress that we made together is crazy. And um, we actually met through Calvin. And uh, I was like, I was like, hey, Calvin, since again, I don't have people running to be on my show. Like I have to be like, hey, can you come on my show? Like it's it's it's, it's like it's so great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and um, like, I mean, that's kind of how it worked. And uh, I was I was searching for people who I want to have on. And I was like, I was like, Calvin, do you know anyone? It's like, yeah, um, I, I, I knew this guy in high school. He's great with camera. He's great with audio. It's like, yeah, send him my way. He comes on the podcast the next day. Just as a guest, not just. Sure. And then you're like, no, just, no, no, no. Just, no. just, just yeah, <laughs> really just as a guest. And we just, we literally hit it off. Hit it off. It was like the best thing in the world. Yeah. I was like, you are me. I am you. We have the same philosophies in life. We have the same goals. We have the same aspirations. Um, is your last name McHenry? So yeah. <laughs> basically at that point. And then if. And then yeah. And then. Uh, so yeah, we hit it off. And then I was just because I've been wanting to start a podcast for a long time, but he the thing about sean is like he starts he just starts and doesn't He'll just I, jump right in i yeah. overthink it a lot and there's times and also i didn't have a place to do and there's like a lot of few things so i was like this is a perfect partnership I was like sean what if i uh filmed and did stuff with it and he's like yeah let's try it out and then ever since then i had all my camera gear i had all my lighting so it just slowly got better and better it worked out kinks but then it's just been a for me personally it's been a really cool story of just just start and then it gets better and better and we're still not perfect and we can get better mics eventually and things like that but like this whole story that I put in my head, at least of we think it's going to be a complete failure. Why even start is complete bull, you know? And it is. I tried a podcast once. We had four episodes. We never went anywhere. Right. But yeah. we, tri we tried it. And same thing. We were using a laptop and a cell and phone. And I think it was or... like also our intention that keeps it going, because if we were trying to do this for views, it'd probably be done by now. But it was simply we have it's almost like our version of a nonprofit. Like we we see an opportunity to actually we know a little bit. We know a little bit of things and we can source people that also know a little bit of things and we can just provide value to other people we don't we have our own businesses we have our own thing on the side but this is our personal like it's your baby yeah you know? yeah so like again we don't expect like phenomenal growth like again i think like our first episode together only got like 100 views yeah but now it's like continuing we've probably gotten five thousand views now we're on to ten thousand views and i and i think through tiktok social media facebook now we're like fifteen thousand people just reached out so 
Well, and that's kind of what I was going to say is it's almost like retirement, right? Yeah, yeah. If you look at the first week, right, to week two, to week three, to week four, that growth looks very minimal. But then all of a sudden, it's it's going to be vertical. Is it a Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger? But the number one rule is don't touch compound growth unnecessarily or something like that. And sure. I apply it to almost every part of my life. I don't, I don't miss a workout. I don't miss a meal. I try not to miss a meal, but specifically don't miss a workout. I don't miss a shoot. I don't miss a follow-up call because it's like, those things are your compound growth. And it, as long as you don't tell, you can have bad calls. You can have bad workouts. You can have bad things like that. You can have bad but podcasts. if you miss it, yeah. Yeah. there's a problem. And that's when you really interrupt the compound growth because then the momentum stops. I think that, again, for you guys to be where, where you're at as, as young men and to have that mentality that I'm going to treat everything like compound growth. And if I miss one, I'm costing myself all of this. As long as it doesn't consume you to the point of where- Of course. Yeah, yeah there's a balance for sure. Yeah. That's why um, I said like, if I if I only have literally five minutes for a leg workout, at least I have five minutes for a leg sure. workout. Sure. And, and even me, I was at the gym before I came here, right? I only had like 25 minutes. So I did as much back and yeah. shoulders as I could yeah, yeah, do. Yeah. And then was like, all right, I don't want to be late. I got to go. Yeah. Right? So, but again, that compound interest mentality is, is great. And, you know, I'll end it here for you guys. Albert Einstein said, those who- understand compound interest earn it those who don't understand compound interest pay it mm. that's good do you want to plug any social medias facebook instagram um, number just mortgage email sure so if you guys if anyone's interested in a mortgage um you can look at mikey mortgage right on uh, on facebook i'm old i'm on facebook sorry guys um and then on instagram it's uh, it's mikey likes it and um other than that you know mortgage wise you can go to my website. It's uh, greenwaylending.com backslash M-M-A-U-R-O. Awesome. And you can even fill out a loan application, you know, right there. On the spot. Great. Yeah. Okay. Thank, Thank you, gentlemen. You. Yeah.